welcome to an MM&M sponsored podcast. My name is Larry Dobram. I'm MM&M's executive editor, and I'm thrilled to have drawn the long straw today. I get to speak with Damon Bash, who's the vice president of Veridine Media Technology. And we're going to be talking a little bit about evolving your strategy for point of care media in the age of COVID-19. I'm thrilled to have you here, Damon. How are you doing today? Larry, good afternoon. Thanks for having me today. Look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. So here's the deal. When we, when we do our podcast nowadays, it used to be, you know, we'd have some big scripted introduction and this and that. But um, in the era of COVID, it feels like the first question should be the same one. So I'll throw it at you like we've thrown it at a couple other guests. How are you? Um, how have you and yours handled this last year or so? How has Veridime managed to navigate such a difficult climate? Uh, well, thank you for asking. First and foremost, my family and I are doing just fine. Thank you. Many of us work remote prior to COVID, uh, and we had to adjust to doing that full time. And while all of our eyes are a little bleary looking at the computer at Zoom all day, I, I think we're doing our best to forge ahead. And I, I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that. And all the initiatives that started pre-COVID are still very much on our plate and moving in the right direction. And I hope you can say the same for yours and, and everyone as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the move to virtual was, you know, I, I think a lot of people will say, well, it was a seamless move. It was not seamless. You know, there were bumps, there were hiccups, but hey, you know, we're, uh, we're all here, right? We are. And, you know, we're more focused on how our providers are navigating uh, through all of these disruptive changes that have occurred in their practices, everything from a clinical encounter to you know, working with their patients remotely, it's all changed. And, and as a result, uh, the folks who are trying to educate, build awareness and support doctors and patients have had to tack as well. And so while everyone is okay here, we've definitely had to evaluate how these changes impact the way we market to our universe. And uh, that's not the same for any of the other folks who are more than likely listening into the call today. All right, which actually gives a very nice lead into a first question I have on the sales model for biopharm companies, for payers, for healthcare technology companies, and everyone else. I mean, certainly the shifts that we've seen recently, they began years before COVID hit these shores. Um, tell us a little bit about the macro trends that you're seeing and about how the model has changed, how it's evolved. Well, for one, we've been hearing for a long time about a transition to a greater presence around non-personal professional promotion. Um, but I think that does a disservice to the pharma field team. And, and that's not the, the business that I'm in, but I think it's really important right now, even with COVID, to recognize the value that they bring, that personal relationship they have with providers, which hasn't waned. Uh, and don't forget Veridime and Allscripts, uh, the providers, the HCPs are our customers. And they tell us how important it is. We see plenty of surveys and studies as well. But the providers still learn and benefit greatly from that direct relationship that they have with the uh, detail teams, the field teams. And the manufacturer has not relinquished that emphasis on the call plan providers, those top decile or target list providers that warrant that high touch service and support. That hasn't changed, but a lot of other things have. For one, we know that uh, the independent physician groups really have to scale up to survive and they're joining larger groups and larger health systems. And that makes it much more difficult for those reps to gain access and provide the support that they're accustomed to. And related to that, the analytics and the targeting tools, things like programmatic buying and account-based marketing have evolved with real-time data to allow a multi-channel approach to those same doctors that can either augment to 
that sales rep and also in some cases replace that sales rep, the service, the support and education that they might normally bring. You know, here's one way to think about it. A, a prescriber initiates a new patient start on a very expensive biologic, for example. In the past, a rep would have been activated to make sure that that prescriber knows how to prescribe it, how to process a prior authorization, how to connect the patient to support services and drive the best possible outcome, both for the prescriber writing and the patient receiving the medication. So much of that journey is becoming automated now and evolving at breakneck speed. And so that's one of the things that occurs. Disruptions like a pandemic will drive innovation around those practices that were formerly supported with high touch services from the manufacturer. But from our perspective, the shift hasn't negated the impact and the relevance of the direct communication through the EHR channel. It's kind of allowed for its optimization as a really critical piece of the non-personal part of a, uh, a promotional marketing plan. To the point that you just made, the disruption that we saw, how, how well did Veradime's clients adapt? Um, was it rocky? Um, tell me a little bit about how the tenor of the conversations have evolved over the last year. I mean, you know, pharma is kind of famous for not really embracing change until it has to, right? Um, tell me about how they've handled this period from, uh, from where you were sitting. Yeah, well, we've all heard that pharma likes to uh, be the second case of a new innovative marketing approach, not the first. And there are certainly reasons for that. Uh, but, you know, we talk about technology all the time being a disruptive force in healthcare and driving innovation. But it's clear that a pandemic can do a pretty good job of that as well. And we've seen the overwhelming increase uh, and trend towards telemedicine. Uh, which is serving to increase overall a provider acceptance of new technologies to engage patients to, uh, at even higher levels. You know, the numbers uh, of our own measurement for our platforms have skyrocketed at the inception of the pandemic. And while they've leveled off, to some extent, we think that number is going to be maintained as long as the payers continue to cover that form of clinical intervention. You know, and from our standpoint, since telemedicine and EHR are integrated, the provider's eyes are still in their system all day and kind of reaffirm that model of point of care messaging. But what's interesting is that we are asked uh, as a company many, many times throughout the day by our manufacturer customers, our pharma customers, how they can participate appropriately in things like a telemedicine encounter. And HIT vendors are moving really quickly to try and find a way to service that ask by the pharma partner so they could be a part of that conversation during telemedicine. But at the same time, my warning is that you have to be really wary of the regulatory compliance requirements of marketing in a new ecosystem. Um, it's evolving very quickly and it can be very difficult to keep up if you don't have deep expertise in the channel to understand if you're doing things in a safe harbor, in a safe way. You know, we've had years and years to review a well-researched uh, point of view on the channels that we have today around point of care. Telemedicine's new. How do we ensure that it's a safe harbor for our pharma clients? How is patient data being handled and being de-identified? How are campaigns being measured? Is the content being delivered in the environment appropriate? Is it compliant? So back to how I started this conversation, which is to say pharma likes to be the second new example of innovation. And, you know, we think telemedicine is a critical part of the communication journey and the provider and patient journey moving forward. We just have to really understand um, how we can do it safely and compliantly as well as effectively. You touched on this already a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're a year, a little over a year into this, into COVID and the pandemic. 
over the course of this year, what impact have you seen on the evolution of the commercial model for some of the companies and their communications with providers? Overall, how would you characterize that impact? What are some of the aspects of it that maybe surprised you a little bit looking at it from the uh, position that you're in? Well, I've seen an emergence around point of care uh, in, in a very significant way. I think the, the marketplace for pharma to engage in point of care is growing more and more sophisticated and is scaling higher and higher. And I think that's a good thing. It goes back to how we started the conversation about uh, the field force. Uh, you know, the detail teams are so critically important, but as access gets smaller, it becomes uh, more and more important to use electronic and technology channels to envelop the provider experience with tools, support, and resources. And that's all point of care. And if you ask everybody who's in that space how to define it, they'll all give you a different definition. And it depends upon um, where they have a dog in the hunt, so to speak. You know, point of care is intake. Point of care is waiting room. Point of care is exam room from the patient perspective. It's also from the provider perspective with wall boards and with an EHR. It's point of care at home, which is another area that we see emerging very, very rapidly as the applications and the tools and communication channels between the clinic, the provider, and the patient get more and more interactive with greater and greater interoperability and the ability to communicate data and conversation between provider and patient allows self-care at home um, and the resources to support that like apps are also part of that point of care conversation. As an EHR company, our viewpoint is that the provider spent six plus hours a day with our software, managing their practice and charting and e-prescribing, texting their patients, uh, delivering clinical care. So our view around point of care is an emerging channel in the space is that it's multi-channel. You always have to be with the provider during a clinical encounter from presentation to diagnosis, to prescription, to post-prescription engagement. There is a really dizzying and wonderful array of different point of care companies who are providing access in different stages of that patient to provider journey. We just think we're the center of it, obviously, because we are the EHR itself. And do you think that's part of the problem? You alluded to this a little bit, but there, there's almost a lack of precision in the way, quote unquote, point of care is referred to. Does that in a way make some of these conversations, at least at first, a bit more challenging? Or in a way, the fact that the space isn't as you know meticulously defined as so many other areas makes it easier. I, I think it's not easy to be a marketer from the standpoint that point of care is extremely horizontal. There are various aggregators, there are various outlets that deliver their footprint. And the simple fact is there's no such thing as a one stop. So that's the bad news. The good news is that the, the data output from these channels and the analytics engines that can consume them in many cases in real time are driving the ability to get real time understanding of whether or not your promotional tactics are driving an appropriate uh, change of behavior and appropriate awareness. And if they're not, you have the ability to tack and reallocate those marketing spends in a more meaningful and appropriate way. And I would say the same thing about the messages that are being delivered, whether it's through us or another point of care partner. Um, you're able to measure whether or not you're speaking to the right doctor at the right time, treating the right patient with the right message. And with the right message, it was kind of the final mile there. Uh, the ability to measure whether that is true and to tack if it's not, 
uh, makes a huge difference in point of care. But there is no one-stop shop. Everybody delivers a certain portion of the footprint in a different way. Um, all we can do is provide education related to EHR in general and related to our footprint. And we also do work with a variety of partners that can envelop uh, the remaining portion of those providers that we may not be reaching. But it's critical that any marketer learns the ecosystem and is speaking to all of the partners. And also importantly, drilling down to make sure their representations of scale and who their solution is touching is accurate, which is a whole other conversation. But uh, the integrity uh, of the claims in the marketplace about uh, who we're reaching in the point of care environment are a very critical conversation. Again, you touched on this a little bit, but um, what are some of the other things that make messaging to providers via the EHR so valuable, especially compared to some of the other point of care media solutions that are out there? And certainly there are many, many, many of them out there. I think they all have value. So uh, if it is point of care, I think it's it's uh, important to go through an appropriate discovery to understand who they bring and how they deliver. From the EHR perspective, the conversations we have all day with pharma marketers is really a, uh, around value versus scale. Uh, there are resources for scale out there. I think marketers, as we spoke about earlier, focus very much on their call plan doctors, their target list doctors. And so you can run into a conversation that is very commoditized. How many MPIs are we reaching? How many dollars are we spending? And what is the conversion around all of that for our promotional engagements? And I think there's a space for that. But when we're looking at a point of care environment, it's really much more focused on value and that moment in time on that clinical encounter and on understanding the provider, understanding the practice, understanding what their patient load looks like when they're with those patients, how they prescribe, how they treat, and all those other data points that help you understand that a meaningful and appropriate message at that right time has an awful lot more impact than a spray and pray mentality when you're reaching out to some big box outlet that's going to help you reach all of those providers, but not necessarily in a way that they'll remember or that will drive a change in behavior. We've been doing this a long time and our providers look at the messaging very much as a part of their workflow, a complement to their workflow, because it is so targeted that it helps them make decisions about how to treat, about how to write. Um, and that's helpful to them. If we were to deliver messaging that didn't take into account who they are, how they practice, what their clinic looks like, well, then it takes away from their focus. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to help them. So I think those are some of the things that you need to consider when you're looking at a comprehensive point of care strategy, where you want that reach and you want that efficiency, but you also have to make sure you're targeted as efficiently as you possibly can be, and that you can measure it, that you can look at that physician level and say, we delivered this type of a message to this physician in this environment, treating this type of patient, what did it do? How did it change behavior? And that's something else that not everyone is able to provide, but I think is a critical piece of understanding if your marketing dollars are being spent well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's pivot the focus just a tiny bit to kind of uh, overall strategy. You know, given the unique nature of messaging in the EHR, you know, versus other media solutions, um, how do you go about creating that effective overall strategy for EHR media? It's a great question. And, you know, the number one strategic imperative that I have is to earn the right to ask any of our manufacturer clients if we can move forward together to create that strategy. It starts with understanding the point of view and key objectives of any given brand, which is not always given. If you look at a brand with a horizontal marketing strategy, 
they tend to go down the RFP road where they send them out to 100 different vendors. The vendors check the boxes, they put in their provider accounts, they put in their tactics, you win the business or you don't. But getting beyond that to a conversation to say, these are our objectives, what can you do? Sitting down work with them, building a bespoke strategy, which you can do when you're talking about a smaller scale, highly targeted type of a tactic. Uh, the outcomes driven from that type of a strategic conversation are enormously beneficial, that ground up approach. Um, now we're pretty good at it because the providers are our clients. And so we know everything that we need to know about their clinic, about their patients, uh, about the different types of creative assets that work, the right time to deliver them. And so we try and earn the right to have those types of conversations with marketers. And when we're able to, it, it always drives a better outcome. Earlier in the conversation, we were talking a little bit about scale. Um, we were talking a little bit about the number, the pure number of clinicians that can be reached. But how do you know that you can believe the reach that your media partner says they deliver? Um, and even if you do, is more always better? Um, how important is that quality of reach relative to quantity? As you can surmise, given that we are an EHR company, uh, we're going to go down the value road uh, 10 times out of 10. So yes. uh, I think I think scale is important, obviously, and there's a there's a place for it. I, I do think it is commoditized and uh, you need to kind of round out a targeted strategy with one that uh, backfills any gaps in your strategy that maybe reaches some of those hard to see doctors or doctors who are not part of a particular vendor's network or white space doctor. So you need a strategy that thinks about all of those things. But you also need a way to uh, define reach. And, you know, we work in an industry that has an awful lot of folks who, if you roll up the numbers of providers that they claim to reach, exceeds the number of doctors tenfold. And, and that obviously uh, requires a little bit of a drill down to understand what's real and what's not. Uh, where does the auditing occur? Uh, what other claims that are being made? For example, uh, a vendor may claim to reach 100,000 providers, but what does that mean? Does it mean that they logged into a website or an application once in the past year? Um, have they fully consented to the data rights to allow their information to be used for measurement? Um, is it all traffic at a terminal that's used in a clinic by multiple practitioners, some of them prescribers, some of them not, but that IP is categorized as a provider. There are a whole laundry list of questions that should be asked to peel the layers back of the onion to understand when reach is represented, what that actually means, what is the addressable audience, and how is it qualified. Obviously, it's something that we take very seriously, and we are transparent, um, where we are sharing with the appropriate data use agreements, the NPIs that we have, and, and making sure that it's abundantly clear um, that they're active prescribers. We choose actually to use prescribers rather than providers because that's a more meaningful metric for our clients. But uh, we just encourage all agencies and manufacturers to push back and pressure test assumptions or claims made by vendors out there. We feel the whole industry wins when we are all singing from the same handle in terms of how we represent honesty, integrity, and our accounts. Um, we all lose when one or two bad apples may go out there and misrepresent the same. So uh, I very much advocate for as much transparency as possible and, um, and hope that our, our colleagues in the marketplace do the same. You know, and but to your point, it does seem that that transparency has been something that, I mean, it took a little while to get there, but it does appear to be there now. I, I want to go back to something you said over the course of that answer um, about some of the, I think the way you put it was a laundry list of questions. Beyond the one or two that you mentioned, what, what are some of the other questions that should be asked? What are the questions that you want to be asked when you're talking with a potential client? 
Well, so here's one that we're really proud of, and it's about compliance, uh, simply stated. So we are the EHR. We have uh, a 60-plus person compliance team that looks at all of our solutions, all of our programs, all of our outreach to make sure that we're providing a safe harbor, that we are standing by the letter of our commitment to our providers, and that when we're working with an external partner, be it a pharma company or a payer or a hub or, or any other type of HIT partner, that we're operating within the constraints of a compliant environment. There are a lot of vendors who, because of their size, may not have that type of compliance oversight. And so when they're delivering information or an MPI or a message, it's not always 100% sure that they're doing so in a compliant way. You know, the Hippocratic Oath extends from my perspective to agencies and manufacturers as well. Do no harm. And you should not be hurting a brand by necessarily putting them in harm's way, by not understanding that the partner you're working with is doing so compliantly. And that's hard to really validate. So that's one area where I'd suggest uh, pressure testing how solutions are viewed and determined to be an appropriate safe harbor. Um, beyond that, and some of the other things that I mentioned, if a number is given, we reject number of providers. What does that mean? Are they active? How are they active? How are you delivering messages? Are all of them an addressable market for the same solution or for different solutions? And really get to the actual numbers so that you know who you're reaching, or for measurement for that matter. I know that there are companies that will measure the totality of an audience in terms of the return on investment, when only a portion may have received a specific message. Like I said, the majority of the players in the marketplace are well-regulated and compliant. Some aren't. And it's important that we not let those that are doing things the right way um, paint the market, if you will, for all of those who are trying really hard to make sure that everyone's protected and that we're doing things right. Damon, I just have one last question for you. And it's the, uh, it's the old crystal ball question. You know, if I'm a healthcare marketer or a media agency leader who's looking to capitalize on some of the things that we spoke about today. Where should I go from here? Um, what should be my top of mind priorities? What are some of the big questions I should be asking myself? Well, so it's funny, as an EHR company, uh, I love talking with manufacturers and agencies who have a center of excellence that's focused on the EHR. I, I, considering all of the marketing resources that are spent leading up to that clinical encounter leading up to that point of care, that point of prescription, all the resources on the back end of that prescription related to financial savings, patient management, care coordination, all of those are enormous expenses that sometimes run independently off of what is actually happening, happening during a clinical encounter. So my advice is if you want to know about the provider journey, the prescription journey, the patient journey, for example, prescription price transparency, what does your brand look like in pricing when in the middle of an e-prescription? Real-time benefits verification, prior authorization, copay solutions, specialty medication workflows, what a therapy pick list looks like. Uh, you'd be surprised how few actually understand what it looks like when their drug is represented in a pick list in the e-prescribing journey. Ask those questions. We're here to help. And other EHRs will do that too, but we want to make sure that that center of excellence who is making plans for a brand or is defining a strategy for point of care, understands exactly what happens when a physician uh, is in the middle of that journey. So let us help. You know, we are here to obviously share our solutions with pharma, but we're also here to educate. And when we do the second thing first, when we educate first, 
what we do with our solutions is so much more impactful. So I would just encourage if there's interest to ask for that conversation and we're more than happy to bring our subject matter experts to the table to help everybody understand the EHR ecosystem more deeply. I, I have no doubt that our listeners will be taking you up on this. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a fascinating space and it's one that Veradime does so well within. Damon, thank you so much for this education. I really appreciated the time here today. Thank you, Larry. I enjoy our conversation. For the MMM podcast, this is Larry Dilgrau. Many thanks for listening, and I'll come back to hear us again soon. Be well.